We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with and hears their stories. My guest today was the 1973 NFL Rookie of the Year, was a five-time Pro Bowler for the 1970s Vikings. They won six Central Championships. They went to three Super Bowls. And while they didn't win any of them, he clearly changed the way the running back position was played and would be played going forward. Please welcome today's guest, the spin doctor, Chuck Foreman. Chuck, hey, thank welcome you. to Chasing Hardware. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate your time to allow me on your show. No, it's a, it's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> look forward to, uh, look forward okay. to talking. Um, so, uh, so Chuck, you are, you're obviously, you're, the bulk of your career is spent in Minnesota, but you're right. from Frederick, Maryland, right. between Baltimore and D.C. Mm-hmm. Tell, me, tell me a little bit about growing up in Frederick, Maryland, um, and then we'll kind of talk about your high school years and then move on. Right. To- Frederick is a very unique town. Of course, it's a historic town. We go back, you know, in the beginning, uh, you know, Francis Scott Key and all those people that we mentioned because uh, of uh, the historic value there, Barbara Fritchie, all that stuff. But anyway, I grew up in a small town at the time. It was a small town, Frederick, Maryland, um, very wonderful town. I think for the most part in the time that we grew up in Frederick, in, in my time, you know, there's a lot of things that happened, you know, the civil rights movement, all that. In my town, though, it seemed like we were able to make that, make that adjustment and that change pretty smoothly. Uh, with my parents and the people that we had in our community, the leaders in our community, the, both in the black and white community, seemed to be able to come together with something that worked. You know, we ended up, well, we had a lot of great athletes and they went to high school called Lincoln High School at the time. That was the black high school in Frederick, Maryland. And then in the 60s, um, they um, made that a Get the kids from there went to a place called Frederick High School where they integrated, and that's when Frederick High School and then they had Frederick High had a great uh, reputation prior to that. But 
uh, when, when the schools were able to integrate, they had some great, great, great uh, athlete, athletic programs, football, basketball, track, everything. So we had a lot of guys that were ahead of me to set the standard. I had a lot of great coaches over there that were really outstanding. Um, my track coach was a guy by the name of Jack Griffin. He was a U.S. woman's Olympic coach. Yeah, and we've had like five or six Olympians from that little small town. Uh, we've had some great basketball players that come out of there. Uh, let me see, my brother Francis, he went to he went to University of Cincinnati on a football scholarship. But prior to that, my one of our dear friends, a guy by the name of Gordon Smith, he went to University of Cincinnati, and at the time was the biggest basketball power in the country. And he was there, and he was all everything there. And then we had so many guys that had the ability to, and some started out in college and didn't finish, but in, in that little town and the competition, like in our park at a place called Malnix Park, when there was, you know, we had guys come from New York, teams come from New York all over to play basketball all over DC. It was like a, um, a holiday in the park type of thing. You see some of the best, greatest basketball players in that park. Uh, that unfortunately people didn't get to see them showcase that talent for whatever reason. But I had a great, great upbringing, my neighborhood. I can't say enough about it because the neighborhood, the neighborhood of your parents weren't around. You knew you couldn't get in trouble because the neighbors would punish you, bring in, bring in and do whatever they had to do. And then you get that discipline from them. And then when your parents got home, it was even worse. <laughs> And then for me, uh, I would always like my father to, to discipline me because, or my brother and I, we all, you know, because if our mother had to discipline us, you know, my father, if he gave you a spanking or something, you got it and it was done. My mother, she was one of them kind of people that would say, you hurt my feelings, you, you're making me spank you. And, she, and I'm like, mom, you, you, it's hurt, you can stop. <laughs> and, you know, she keep talking while she's spanking you. But, you know, all those things and that, you know, that we went through. I tell you, if everybody could have grew up in my neighborhood, they would have some of the greatest times and, and experiences of their life. I mean, even when we got punished, you know, one time we got we got in some trouble. Me and my brothers and Mike, Big Mike, some guys, some friends of mine. So we got punished. We had to stay in the yard all summer. We couldn't leave. And they said, y'all better not leave these yards. The key word was, you better not leave these yards. So that told us, okay, we can't go out on the front or on the street. But, hey, we can hang out in the yard. So what we did, we ended up taking the shack back there, making it into a clubhouse. And then people behind us, they had apple trees. People there had cherry trees. And, you know, they go pick their cherry. But by the time they came to pick the cherries, we had already picked them all and ate them all. <laughs> we had so many, so many good times when I was a kid. But, and, and, but it kind of molded me, my brothers, and our friends and to who we are. You know, our parents were very disciplined. Um, they didn't let a thing slide. You know, you, you know, it had to be home at a certain time for dinner and you had to sit at the table. Um, all those things, those little things that we had that I think today's youngsters 
from what I'm seeing, I think it's too many of them that don't share that. You know, on Sundays, you had to be home, uh, have dinner on Sunday, didn't play on Sunday, didn't do them. You remember, I don't know if you remember, they were called Blue Sunday. No, you didn't do anything. All you did was went to church, came home, you ate, and you know, you family time. So all those things that I had when I grew up, and then sports, every day was sports. Every day, you know, in the rain, in the snow, you play basketball in the snow out in the park. We didn't have the indoor facilities and stuff like that, that we could go to at the time. But that's what we did. And, you know, we had people that thought about us, cared about us, and gave us all we needed to, to do the things we wanted to do. You, I'm fascinated. Your high school football team, your senior year, right. I'm wrong on this. You're undefeated in, in football. Right. You win the state basketball title. Right. And I think a couple of years in a row, your your high school won the state track title. And right. You were we did. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned, Jack Griffin was your coach and he's yeah. coaching Olympian uh, mm-hmm. Olympic teams for the women's side. And he's obviously a huge influence for you. Right. He was all there. And and. I think I read somewhere that you had a 40 inch vertical and that basketball yeah, close to a lot it. of attention. Yeah. Close to it. At yeah. Least. Close to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 we, you know, like tip offs, you know, I'm six, two and a half or something like that. And I'm sitting a bit jumping ball against all these guys, but you know, that was the way it was, you know, you played where the coach told you. Sure. And, um, let me think for a second. So you, you were being recruited in basketball too. What schools were talking to you about basketball? Oh, wow. Name in Maryland. Well, you know, back in those days, you know, you get letters from a lot of people. Sure. But but there's a lot of, you know, like 20 or 30. Okay. You know, I can, you know, and then that's a whole nother story about going to school up at Penn State with Joe Paterno and all that. That, that was a heck of a story. So, yeah. How did you choose Miami coming out of Maryland? Um, of course, Penn State. We went to Penn State. And uh, we got to watch the film of the guys and stuff like that. And there's one thing that none of us were lacking in my, in the guys that I played football with, basketball with, track. One thing our coaches always told us, you can do anything you want to do. Believe me. They said, if I say you can do it, you can do it. Because I know what you can do. Well, I carried that. We all did. Carried that forward. And so Penn State, you know, we went up there for a recruiting visit. And, Watched the film up of Penn State. They had this guy, Ted Kowalik, and some people people there back at the time. And we we're looking at the film and all that. And I'm sitting there, and this guy, a friend of mine, Ronnie Proctor, we went up there. He was a linebacker. And then we think, wow, we can play here, you know? Because <laughs> we, what we saw, we just knew we could, we were better athletes. But then Joe Paterno comes back and says, well, God, man, we watched your film. We just don't think you're Penn State material. (laughs) (laughs) And and Ronnie and I just started laughing at the guy and told Coach, let's go. We didn't even need to stay there anymore. We just laughed all the way out of the the, the, the film room and got back. We were walking on to the car because we knew after watching the film that, you know, we could play. What he meant by that, I don't know, but I will say one thing. After I made rookie of the year, and we had down in Baltimore at the Touchdown Club, I think, or Baltimore Touchdown Club, Joe did come up to me and say, you know, I was really wrong about you, wasn't I? I said, yeah, you were me and Ronnie. 
But he did come and apologize. I'll say that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that was real cool. And he's, he, you know, and every time I saw him after that, he just said, shake his head. And I said, yeah, we good, coach. He was a good dude. Yeah. How'd you choose Miami? Uh, actually, we were playing against this team in Baltimore. I guess it was the team was Bel Air High School. And the University of Miami was recruiting a guy down from Bel Air High School. From what this is what I know. And so we were going up, they were undefeated, we were undefeated. And so uh, and I played in high school, I played tight end and defensive tackle. You played where your coach told you to play. Of course. You know, and then that was it. You didn't even question it. Just we were just playing football. So it didn't mean that the model was you can play anywhere I tell you to play if you got the right mindset. That was my coach, you know, both of them, you know. Um, Roy Comer was my high school coach and a guy named Adam Craven, God rest their soul. But those guys, those two gentlemen molded some great teams. And so we've gone to play against uh, Bel Air and I guess the guys from the University of Miami were there watching their recruit. And then of course we beat them up pretty good. And I guess the guy I was playing across from, I was playing tight end and defensive Well. You know, after the game, this guy comes to me and says, hey, listen, how would you like to come down to Miami for a visit? And I'm like, going to South? I don't know about that. You know, that was at the time. Of course. And then um, I decided to go. But the bottom line is they were recruiting this guy, and they they didn't, you know, they, they offered me his scholarship. <laughs> So anyway, I got down to Miami for the visit. It was like I'd never been to Florida before. Got down there and uh, a lot of different things attracted me to it. And then the campus was beautiful, sunshine. The coaches were pretty real cool. Coach Tate and and, uh, Coach Newcomb, those were the two guys that. And then I met uh, the guys that we only had, they only had two black guys on the team at the time. It was a guy by the name of Ray Bellamy and Tom Sullivan. Well, Tom Sullivan played for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yep. Uh, was took me around when I was a recruit. And Ray Bellamy, uh, you know, he was like, he would have been the number one player taken off the table if, in fact, he wasn't in a car accident. But great, great player, great person. He ended up being the student body president at the University of Miami in those days. That was kind of unheard of. But I got down there, and that's how, you know, I, coaches treated me well, and I liked the weather. And so I just said, okay, Mom, Dad, I think I'm going to go to Miami. And my father was saying, hold up. No, I don't know about all that. But, you know, he, they said, and my mother finally talked to him and said, Billy, you, you know, he got to go where he got to go. You know, he's ready. So, you know, of course, they were prepping me for all the things I might go through, you know, down there. And But to be honest with you, you know, when I was at the University of Miami, it was some of the greatest times of my life. I've, I've really never had a bad situation down there. And if I did have a problem, this is key. You know, when my parents and I went down, we went met the coach, but we also met the president of the school, a gentleman mm-hmm. by the name of Henry King Stanford who is more like Indiana Jones than the movie. <laughs> this is no joke, but he was that special of a guy. And he, my parents and I sat in his office and, 
and he was telling you know my parents that they wanted to make this change at University of Miami, and I'm happy that Chuck is going to be a part of that change. And don't you worry about a thing; we will look out for him here. All I want him to do is get his work, do what he's got to do, and if he ever has an issue, all he has to do is come here to me. So if I had a problem at the University of Miami, if I needed something, I didn't go to the coach. I went to the president of the school. Now, how many people have that? It's say know, all, I'm talking about all of us. We had that access to him. And the secretaries were great. The, even, even the football, everybody, the football the people were, were really, really good people. You know, I mean, and that was kind of, I was expecting uh, maybe a little bit more of, uh, you know, in the, in the times, you know what I mean? Maybe it might have been a little more difficult, but they provided everything that we needed to be successful. And all of us graduating on time, set the example um, for what it takes, you know, to be a hurricane, you know? Yep. And, you know, you can talk about all these guys that came after us, you know, the Ray Lewis's and the Michael Urban's and all the other great players that came through there. But I can tell you this, it wasn't none better than us. Maybe it's good. But not better because we set the standard at the University of Miami because we all, you know, Burgess Owens, who's uh, now in Congress, was a great player too. And so, oh yeah, Jim Otto, Ted, Jim, you can go Ted, you can go on and on and on and on and on about all the great players at the University of Miami. Prior to these guys, yep, you know, we set the standard. Burgess Owens and I, I know for every All Star game I played in in college football, I won the MVP. Burgess in the senior bowl won the defensive MVP, MVP. I won the offensive MVP and the game MVP. <laughs> Ain't nothing like that happened before. You know, know, know your players. And you you had an interesting run there. You were a defensive back for a year. Right, right. Then you were a running back with right. Tom Sullivan. And then you and were a wide receiver. Wide receiver, right. I played all of them. Yeah. So it was like, uh, and every, you know, and then when I'd get moved, I'd call home to my father and I'd say, Dad, they, they're going to move me from, from what, this position to that position. He says, Chucky. I said, what, Dad? He said, you know what you are, right? I said, no. You a football player, man. You know, you go be the best at it, wherever they put you. Don't call me anymore and tell me nothing like that. You know what you can do. Just like that. That's what he said. I never made a call back home. I just went wherever they moved me. I just said, okay, I'm going to try to be the best I can be at those positions. And that's what I did. Yep. And so then in 73, you're drafted by the Vikings. Right. Jim Pinks is still the general manager. Right. Uh, Hall of Fame general manager. You're part of his last draft class. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting team because you've got older veterans like Frank right. and Carl Eller. Right. Age, Jim Marshall, but then like a group is coming in. You, mm-hmm. Matt Blair, Fred mm-hmm. McNeil, Steve Riley, guys. Yeah, like Brent McClanahan. Brent McClanahan's in the yeah. draft. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, tell me about how like the the the, the old and the young kind of came <laughs> together. Well, you know, you had to earn your stripes there in Minnesota. First of all, they had a lot of great leadership, no question about. All of them were great football players, but they were just great human beings. Too. I didn't even mention Tinglehoff and Jerry. Yeah, Tinglehoff, you know, you know, Jerry, you know, all, you know, you, you saying there's so many of them. 
Yeah. So as a young player, you, you know, after you got over being around that great group of people, because we used to watch them on TV all the time, after you got over that shock, shock part, where it's like, man, I'm in the huddle with Fran Target, I'm in the huddle with John Gilliam, I'm in the huddle with, you know, Stu, I'm in the huddle with all these guys, I'm like, what the heck am I going to do? You know, after you get over that shock part, and then you see how they operate, you know, and how Bud Grant operated, you know, number one, he, he didn't have a lot of rules, but he enforced the ones that he had. He expected you to come to work, give him 100%, and to give, it, give everything you had and be ready when you got there. Don't, get, don't use camp to get in shape. You know, but, you know, he he had that standard there and the, and the, and the players one, were the ones that, um, you know, the, mar- the, the leaders on the team, they, they let you know right away, hey, look, we don't do that here. You know, we come to play. We don't play games. We don't do anything. Once you practice, you practice. And then the game, you know, be smart. If you make mistakes, you're gone. Right. That's the first thing I learned when I was here in Minnesota. They, make sure you don't make any mistakes. If you won't ever get on the field, don't do anything stupid. Don't make any stupid foul. You'll never get on the field. And you see, and so now when you see the game, everybody's trying to have a brand, their own brand. And, you know, they got to get up and they got to talk some trash. They got to do this to get some attention to themselves. Well, you know, in my time, you know, that, that, that was unheard of because, you, you know, uh, you might beat a guy, but you don't want to disrespect the guy because sooner or later the whole team will come at you. So, but now it's different. Yeah. Yeah. And was there a question given how many different positions you played at Miami, was there a question that, you know, maybe you'd be playing a split end or wide receiver or were you going to be a running back period? Well, for me coming out, you know, when I got to Minnesota, be quite honest with you, um, they asked me which position did I want to play? I just come out of the senior bowl, MVP, turned, you know, broke all the records down there at the time. Uh, they asked me, well, where do you want to play? And I was just like thinking, I don't know. How about running back? I'll play running back, you know, because that's where I got all the, you know, when, when all the, and I wanted to be a running back because I knew, I, you know, if I stayed there and got the ball enough, you know, I thought I'd be pretty good at it. And then they got here and got me here and they told me, Jerry Burns says, you know, I'm going to change this offense for you. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, that's when they moved me to fullback from two back, from running back to fullback. So people think I was the running back, but I was the fullback. And I'm like, well, why am I going to be the fullback? And then he was saying, because I'm going to design this offense to match your skill set. And you, I want you to get the short yards. I want you to get the long yards. I want you to catch the ball. I want you to do all those things. But this is how I'm going to approach to do it. And I'm like, but then he also said one thing. You might not ever get the credit for being the best back, but I'm here to tell you, you will be the best back. Mm-hmm. So, and I didn't quite understand that until, until, you know, people start to evaluate you and your, and your, in your position, well, for me, since I caught so many passes and caught, made so many yards receiving, see, they people they, they throw that out the door. They just evaluate me on this on my yardage. Well, you know, but I got the ball on third and one, fourth and one, third and two. You know, all those short yards that that maybe a fullback would, well, a guy designated fullback, 
Because I was like not a, I was a fullback, but so much more. Right. That was incorporated into my position. That that part of my game was, you know, when they evaluate me, there's only been a few good people that gave me credit for that. Right. Yeah, and it's amazing because before you, there had been guys like Frank Gifford and Bobby mm-hmm. Mitchell and Lenny Moore. Right, right. Lenny Moore, of course, I followed him when I was in high school. Yeah. Yeah, and those guys <laughs> were really good running. At Charlie Taylor was a right. Back. Oh yeah. yeah, But they were like running backs who became receivers or flankers who became running backs. Right. So they they kind of put together right both sets of numbers, but it was either from the wide receiver spot or the running back spot. You were like the first guy right. with a running back, fullback, but also, you know, a running back putting up the rushing numbers and the receiving numbers. Receiving numbers, <laughs> slot numbers, wide receiver numbers, playing outside. <clears throat> but that part of the game, as far as Chuck Foreman goes anywhere, you know, they just kind of like throw that out. Yeah. yeah, and that's too bad. Well, and and you mentioned Cherry Burns. Uh, like mm-hmm. I'm fascinated with him. Here's a guy who he was like a baseball coach at the University of Hawaii. Then he's right. a defensive coach for Lombardi and the Packers. Right. And Bud Grant sees something in him and makes him mm-hmm. an offensive coordinator, which he does mm-hmm. for the next right. 15 or 20 years, and then becomes mm-hmm. the head coach. What, right. what was the relationship like with Burnsy? <clears throat> well. He's the one that set the offense up for me. I love Jerry Burns. Jerry Burns was a character. Very, very smart. Yep. Now I can see why Bud made him his offensive coordinator. He could break down a film and break down a player, give you the best chances to succeed against a player if you're one-on-one, especially me. Like, look, you know, you know, so-and-so does this. I want you to watch and see what he does when we do this. And then I watch, like, get in the game, it happens. So he he was very creative offensively. Um, sometimes I think maybe, in my opinion, you know, I always believe me. You got to dance with what got you there. But sometimes I think, you know, sometimes you can just outthink yourself. And I think Jerry's mind was going so fast. Believe me when I tell you, man, this guy was unbelievable. Uh, a joy to play for. Uh, kind of. Uh, uh, how do I put it? He was funny. He was a character, you know, and you know you couldn't help but want to play for him because he was that he was that good of a guy. Sure. <clears throat> and what was that running back room like? You had you had like an old vet like Bill Boom Boom. Yeah, right. right. You and McClanahan come in together. You got Marinette, right. the Ivy League guy. Right. Uh, you know Dave Osborne, who's right. Lou Collar running back. Like you know Oscar Reed, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. What was that running back room like? Well, <clears throat> it was the transition. It was called the, we always used to go, you know, the two yard and cloud of dust is gone. Right. Now we coming. And that was me, myself, Brent McClanahan, Ed Marinero, of course. Uh, <laughs> but it was always respectful of those guys because we learned a lot. They, as far as how to pick up a blitz, where to go to pick up the blitz. Don't wait for the blitz, go to the blitz. What are the keys to pick up a blitz? You know, when you're coming out, you know, in the snow, what are you going to do? You're run flat foot. You're going to do this. Don't get on your toe. All these little things that you need to know to play in Minnesota, they showed us, but we did it at a faster pace. Sure. You know, and, um, and then, you know, they, and as far as uh, throwing the ball and things like that, you now those guys were Bill Brown, Dave Osborne, Oscar, 
you know, I don't think any of us would have been anything without their guidance and, you know, the, you know, they, 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 they set the standard sure. for coming to, you know, cause I'll tell you what Bud Grant told me when I first got there. I came from the all-star game and he said, you see that guy over there? You talking about Dave Osborne? I said, yeah, just do everything he does. You'll be okay. And you know what? He ran every time he touched the ball, he ran all the way down to the other end zone, come dry and drew and jogged all the way back. So that was like, wow, he, you know, so that's what I started doing. Ran every play like was in the game. And um, that was, you know, good examples. Those little things they taught us, Bill Brown, Dave Osborne, Oscar. Oscar was more like a psychiatrist for me, though, because I was more hyped up, you know, and he was the guy that could keep me calm, you know, because I was like ripping and raring to go and learned a lot from all of them. That's great. What was Tarkenton like in the huddle? I mean, talk about your unique players. Right. He was, I mean, he just was not of the mold of no, the No, he wasn't. You know, everybody talked about Fran. Oh, ah, he can't play moving around like that and doing that. But I'm going to tell you what you learned. What I learned quick was a guy that scrambled like that. And, and, of course, he was probably the only one back in his time that was doing it the way he was doing it. Just stay in front of him. Just try to stay in front of him because he'll find you. Right. And very smart, you know. I mean, see, people don't understand. Back in the, when I played, especially at the beginning, <clears throat> quarterbacks, linebackers, the people that are in there uh, making the calls. They didn't have people in. You didn't have the things in your ear. Hey, right. friend, call. You know, strong right, thirty-four lead. They, you know, you're gonna see if this this uneven front, this odd, this uneven front, this even front. You don't get that in your ear. You come up there and you look and you observe, you know, I'm not saying they don't do it now, but, you know, they got the, they got the coach, the offensive coordinator in your ear telling you what's coming. Right. And back in that time, no, you didn't have that. So you can't really, you know, as far as comparisons go, you know, stats and stuff like that. Hey, look, all these guys are great and they're deserving of every accomplishment and every, all the recognition they get. But, yeah, you can't compare the stats, though. Right. Because it just, it's not fair to do that. Different game. Yeah. No, it is a different game. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, to continue kind of walking through the team, so you're playing behind Mick Tinglehoff, mm -hmm. Milt Sunday, Ed White, who's right. like the strongest man in the league. Right. Old guys like Grady Alderman, young yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that offensive line. There were some beasts. Well, like I said, man, when I got here, most of those guys had already been in the league 12 years. For the most part, you know, yeah. I mean, Mick Tinglehoff, I think he had already had 12. Yep. Alderman. Ryan Yeri was probably six or seven years, maybe more. I don't know. Grady Alderman had more years than that, maybe. Milt Sunday, too. Yep. You know, so they were old school, very hardworking, tough guys. You know what I mean? And then and, and the way they designed the offense was to their strength. Now, Milt Sunday, what people didn't know now. Now he was the guy that was way ahead as far as the weightlifting and things like that. He had a, I think he had a studio up here, and people would come to go to his workout facility and stuff like that. He's the one that brought that to the team. 
he was very, you know, knowledgeable about that kind of stuff. And in my time, you know, when I got up here, believe me, I mean, <laughs> the workout room wasn't even as big as my kitchen, you know? And yeah. so it was like, and it only had one of those universal machines and a few free weights. So it was a whole totally different uh, time, you know. Now, you know, they got nutrition, they got, you know, you, get, you know, people to work you out, they got all kinds of things that you can do to keep you in, in tip top shape. Yeah, because Tom Brady looks younger now than he did when he came in the league. It's amazing. I can't believe, it. I mean, heck with his football. I want to know how he stays so young. <laughs> it's amazing. Young looking, isn't it? Oh, um, made a deal with the devil. <laughs> We're gonna yeah, find I don't know. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> um, and you know, speaking speaking of Minnesota, so you're you're to take a step back for a second. Mm -hmm. You're in Miami. You get drafted by the Vikings, and I read somewhere that your first thought was, "Wait a second, this is the place where they have to blowtorch the field right. to get playable." You know, what was your first yeah. thought when you when oh, you? That's the first the thing that went through my mind when I got that call. Hey, the Minnesota Vikings, we just drafted Jim Jenks. I'm like, oh. First thing that came to my mind was that 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 blower that they used to, to defrost the field or whatever they were doing up there. That's the first thing that came to my mind. And then when I came up here, because you know I'm from Maryland, so we know a little bit about the cold. But being in Miami, you know, going getting up, I wearing shorts every day, you know, you know, just living the life, man. Yeah. And then coming up to Minnesota, and uh, my first trip up here, get off the plane. And I froze my tail off, man. I'm like thinking, like, wait a minute. I thought I brought enough cold a jacket and everything. I didn't, you know, I've lived in Miami. I didn't have to have any of that stuff. But, uh, you know, I went and got some stuff. To, uh, my mother sent me this, you know, a nice warm jacket and all that stuff. And uh, this a lady that I knew, her name is Mrs. Uh, uh, Eliza Sturm, knitted me this little beanie thing that I could wear up here uh, to keep me warm. And God rest her soul, she's a wonderful lady that went out of Miami. She was more like a grandmother. And <clears throat> it was uh, an interesting trip. And I got up here and, you know, the people were real nice. And Bud Grant, of course, and Jim Finks. And, you know, so it was, I thought, all right, it might be cold, but I think I can handle being there in Minnesota. Right. Yeah. And a funky stadium. You have the sidelines next to each other. Oh, right started. next to each other. Yeah, it was. It was crazy. I'm like, and then in the, it went, you know, when it got cold, you know, if I, if I was running on that sideline, I'd just run out over there and get walk, take my time walking back to my side of the bench so I could get some of that heat. Because Bud wouldn't allow it. No, he wouldn't allow heaters or anything. <laughs> That's the crazy Or gloves thing. or anything like that. It, was, it had to be all you know, natural. And, and Bud style, my guess is he didn't have the offense scrimmage with the defense all that much or did he? Mm -hmm. yeah. No, no. We might have a little bit of a scrimmage maybe once every now and then, but you know, he, you know, Bud was smart about taking care of his players and not overdoing it. We didn't do, we had some hitting going on a little bit, but you know, it's, and then, you know, some of the veterans, you know, they sometimes they took the afternoon off. They didn't have to come out like, wait a minute, how did they do that? Well, you put in that much time and you have the confidence they have, you can do the same thing. They earned it. Yeah. You know, but they, 
Bud was the coach, but those guys were the disciplinarian. Gotcha. And what was it like being on the offense when you guys were on the sidelines and you're looking at, you know, Eller and Page mm-hmm. and Marshall and Hilgenberg and Blair, Krause right. back in safety? What was it like watching those guys? Uh, it was unbelievable. You know, I remember when I was a rookie, and I'll tell you this story. We, when I was a rookie, we were playing against the Oakland Raiders, and they had this guy, Big Bob Brown. Sure. You know, he was like all everything, offensive tackle. Him and Cariello were going against each other. And so Bob Brown used to wear these things on his hand. They look like clubs. You know, they don't let you do that anymore. But they say he had some metal in there. Yeah, you know, this is a true story. Yeah. They say he had metal in these things. But back, if you look back at the guys that played back then, the offensive linemen, defensive linemen, they were always taped all the way up. Because, I, you know, I think they did have metal in there. You know, but when he came up under you, you know, well, anyway, he came up under Carl Eller when we were out there in Oakland and hit him right up and came back, hit him with one and then came back with another like a punch. And Carl went down. And everybody was saying, wow, did you see Bob Brown doing that to Carl? Well, anyway, he had to come out. And I had these two guys that came in with me named Larry Dibbles and Larry Smiley, right? You know, they were from Texas. Coach says, Dibble, Smiley, go in for Moose. <laughs> they ran to the other end of the bench. <laughs> <laughs> can't hear you, Coach. Can't hear you. <laughs> no, I can't hear you. Man. I'm like, <laughs> okay. They didn't want any, any parts of Bob Brown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So you so the team is is obviously killing it, right? You guys win six straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think I've got that right. Six straight Central Division championships. Right, right. Obviously, some great runs in the playoffs, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, no wins in the Super Bowls. Right. Um, obviously, it's got to be a source of frustration. <clears throat> the Pittsburgh game was probably the most frustrating, right? Because it was kind of a I sloppy think, game. It was a sloppy game. It was no way. Them in Oakland. I mean, I, th- I give credit. Miami was a better team. Okay. Because, you know, I watched them in college. I knew everything they had. Merck, Kick, Zant. You know, all of them greasy, you know, the offensive line, Evans, gee, I mean, just Kuchenberg. I can go all the way down. Sure, Warfield. Warfield, you know, Marlon Briscoe. I mean, I, they used to work out at facility. I used to watch them all the time. But that was the only team that I thought was better than us. Those other two, we had bad games. On, we had bad games on the most important, in the most important game. Right. I talked to Phil Villapiano on this mm-hmm. uh, podcast uh, a couple months ago, mm-hmm. and he obviously had the big hit on Brent McClanahan right. uh, on the goal line. And you just talk about massive turning points. I mean, we've blocked Ray Guy's punt right. you know, on the one yard line or whatever it was, mm-hmm. a touchdown there. And, you know, we, 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 it's a totally different game. Yeah. And he just he just comes up with the big hit, the recovery and, you know, change the game has changed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, um, but so, you know, so frustrating, but obviously the, you know, the team has, has an immense amount of success. Right. Um, you are, you know, putting together a career where you, you rush for, you know, kind of basically 6,000 yards. You have another 3,000 right. yards receiving right. um, 350 catches. You lead the league in receiving one year and it wasn't mm. even close. You right. Like 25% beyond the next couple of guys. Right. It's just insane, especially mm-hmm. in that era. Right. Um, and I, I, I was talking to somebody and I said, do you realize that Chuck Foreman had more catches in his career over basically the same period of time 
than Lynn Swan. Now, Lynn Swan obviously averages more yards per catch because of his position, but you know, that's while rushing for 6,000 yards, you know, right. over the course of basically seven years. Yeah. And um, then, and then the touchdowns and right. So, was it know, three touchdowns, I think 79, I think 79. Okay. Mm-hmm. Somewhere um, around there. Yeah. And so like, and so we were talking earlier, you know, you had guys before who would play running back for a few years, then they were flankers. You're the first guy who comes along who does it both from one position. Right. Um, you know, the, the analogy I would draw to, you know, after you would be Roger Craig. He seemed right. to be the guy who came along um, and did something right. similar, you know, from yeah. the same Oh, position. man, Roger Craig was, you know, I'm like, okay, maybe he'll get some something to do because they right. went and won the Super Bowl. Right. Maybe he'll bring that attention to the types of players that we were. Right. And he played in Minnesota for a couple of years. He played in Minnesota year. for a couple of years, too. So did you guys talk about that? Well, I've talked to Roger before, but you know, it I can't figure it out. Yeah, and you know, it, it, it just it just baffles me where you get <clears throat> then he got a thousand thousand too that one year, right? Thousand rushing, thousand receiving, but I, I don't understand the process. I guess now. It's you didn't change the way football was played exactly, and that's what Mr. Zimmerman said when he said. You know, his words. I changed the concept of football. Is that Paul Zimmerman from Sports Paul Zimmerman, yeah. Okay, he, Dr. Z. You might have heard him say that. He's the one that said that. I didn't. Yeah. And he said I was responsible for changing the concept of football. Yeah. And that, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. So, I, hey, why not? You know, he said it, and I did it. So he's right. But even with that said, Never do we, Roger or me, get any credit for changing the game. Right. You know, and and not only change it, did it at a high level. You yeah. Know? Yeah. The, the analogy I use is like looking at what you did and then and then Roger followed you. Mm-hmm. It's almost like looking at and, and obviously we're talking about from a Hall of Fame perspective. Right. It's almost like tight end, which was not a position that was putting a lot of people in the hall of fame. Right. And then Mackey and Ditka came along mm-hmm. like in the sixties and changed everything. All of a sudden oh, yeah. it was not just a tackle with an 80 number. It was the game. Great well, athletes. Right. Yeah. Great athletes. And then that, that, you know, all of a sudden Kellen Winslow is born. Right. right. And I kind of feel like you, and then, you know, kind of a decade later, Roger come along and you did the same thing for that kind of running back receiver position. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like at some point these voters have to figure that out. Well, you know, the body I tell you what, I jumped off of this shit because obviously they never going to figure it out. And I guess I'm in a good place because I, I know what my contributions were, especially from the fullback position. And the way I played it and the way they designed the plays for me. Right. I know I'm the only guy that played it like that. Right. And so, and I don't need their stamp of approval nope. to know that, you know, because right. it's all on the film. You know, so whatever, however those guys vote or whatever the process they use or he didn't do this or oh, he only had 3.9 yards per carry. 
Yeah, but you know, he had a hundred carries for just one two yards for getting the fun the first down. All those little <laughs> things, you know. Okay, so they don't factor in any of that stuff. And I don't, I don't know. I've never been in a room, but I sure like to be a, a fly in the room to just listen to how these guys pick and choose um, right. who's going to be in and who's not. You know, I mean, it's got to be in this interesting. What? We'll start it with this podcast. This is where the movement begins. Well, I don't know, but I'd like to know. But uh, like I said, all of them deserve it. But, you know, there's a whole lot of them that aren't in there. Yeah. Well, and, and even even taking into consideration, I mean, you know, you had almost an entire season of just postseason games, right? You mm -hmm. played 13 postseason games right. in the 70s. And, you know, if you look at your rushing and receiving yards combined, you're over 1,300 yards there, too. So you're over, yeah. averaging over 100 yards in the postseason. You know, that's yeah. another impact on top yeah. of it. So. Yeah, but, you know, um, you know, if you set up and, 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 and like I say, you know, most of the people I meet, they, when I sign my autograph, they say, well, why don't you put HOF on there? Get, put HOF on there for me, please. I'm like, well, I'm not in there. What? Why not? <laughs> I said, well, I can't tell you. But 99% of the people that I meet think I am. Right. But, you know, that's, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I can't, I can't put my finger on it, but I, I'm not losing any sleep on it. I can tell you that. No, no, you shouldn't, because the career is no, no itself. But it's, but it is funny, like, as we talked about maybe 10 or 15 minutes ago, you mm -hmm. can't, it's very hard to compare across decades and generations. No, you can't do that. You know, it's not fair to do that. I mean, yeah. I remember watching this, uh, this picture. You might, you might have seen it. There was a picture of a quarterback play for the Giants, Y.A. Tittle. Remember sure. him? Yeah, the name anyway? Yep. <clears throat> and he was on his knees. I think it was a playoff game. That was back in the day when a, when a defensive lineman, when they got to you, you know, no mercy. Yeah. And you better not slide. That was out the picture. You better just try to get away. You couldn't do that. You were yeah. less of a man if you did that. He's got and blood running down his forehead. Yeah, yeah, you remember that? Yeah. Blood running all down his face. I'm seeing him on his knees like, this guy gave it all he could give you. Yep. You see, now, I got a problem when people don't factor that stuff in. Right. Because you look at these guys now, they slide, they can, you know, you can't touch them. Wide receivers, you can't even bump them. You, you're supposed to get 100 yards, 100 catches a year. Right. You know, can't, you know, they, you know, they said the bump and run was the thing that when I played, they get up on you and beat you up as much as they could for five yards. You, and sure. After that, they couldn't touch it. The ball was in the air. And then when the ball was in the air, you better not. But until that ball was in the air, they could bump you all the way downfield. Right. And so guys that, you know, like the Otis Taylor, the John Gilliams, and we can go on on the Lance Alwards, the Lance Rentals, the all the, when they had to, I mean, you can go with so many of them. I can't name them all, but you know, Ahmad. You know, you can go down Sammy White. I mean, the things that they had to do just to get off the line, right? Just to get was, open. Just to get open was like, okay, how you, you know, you had to be, you know, somewhat physical coming off the line, right? And so well, now they they're allowed to. 
And also just think about it. Like if, if you just look at the decade of the seventies, again, mm. trying to compartmentalize things. So in an era where it was tough to pass or tougher to pass, right. um, and, you know, teams were a little bit more balanced in the running and the receiving, you know, the running and the passing, mm. it, you know, outside of, obviously, Franco Harris, you know, right. is a Hall of Fame running back, Larry no Zonka. No question about it, right. Larry Zonka, OJ Simpson obviously had a Hall of Fame career. Um, I mean, how, <laughs> granting those, you know, those few, and maybe right. there's one or two I'm forgetting, like, how, how are mm. you not right there for the entire decade? Like, that's what just baffles I, me. I can't figure it out. Yeah, you know, other than the fact, like I say, my skill set was so much different, you know, and it's unfortunate that when they evaluate, they evaluate just from the line of scrimmage. At right. least that's that's the only way they could, because they if they if they look at you as a what was your impact on the game? And what was your impact during your time? I, I don't think it's a, something you can debate. Right. But, you know, it is what it is. They do what they do, you know, but um, I guess this that's the way it is. Well, so let, let me ask you this. Okay. The, I, I read somewhere that Fred Carr, Linebacker for the pack mm-hmm. is one of the toughest guys you face. Like just one of those guys yeah. who look across the line and you're like, God, really? Yeah, who, that's who, right. That's what I'd say too. Yeah, right. Who who were so, so besides Fred Carr of the Packers, who else who else is out there in that list for you? Well, I'll tell you the, the, the two Fred Carr was about 6'5, 240, 250. I don't know what it was, but he could run as fast as anybody on the team. That's, that's what was freaky about him. Right. You know, he was just physical, dominant, that kind of guy. Then, you know, we had Jack Ham at Pittsburgh, who was savvy. And he was just like a, he was just like a gnat. You know how you, you just keep kind of, you know, and he's always there. You think you killed him, but he, he's still there. That was Jack Ham. Um, you know, there's several guys, you know, uh, Thomas Henderson was around sometimes when he wasn't talking, you know, because you can, I just like, okay, let him talk and then you can beat him. Right. But when he wasn't and he was serious, he, he was always there too. He's one of those, um, for me, anyway, the guys that I remember, um, there's, um, well, you know, I, they had a lot, of, a lot of good ones out there, but those are the three that I guess I played against them most. But they right. come to mind. But uh, yeah, who, those are the ones that I always said, man. You know, but for me, anyway, as a, as for Terry Foreman, sure. Um, when I came to play, either they were getting ready to play me, they were like hyped, but I was hyped to play them too. But you know, it's always it wasn't easy, right? Those guys were always around. And who were the guys who played your position? Uh, back in, you know, when you were playing where, you know, you'd be on the sidelines watching go and that guy plays a pretty nice game. Uh, Terry Metcalf, Greg Pruitt, I can go on and on. Yeah. Those guys, you know, we played in a lot of all-star games together, Otis Armstrong. Oh, man, shoot, I can just go on, you know. You know, it's funny. Guys, Terry Metcalf. Um, you, you mentioned uh, Greg Johnny Rogers. Oh, Johnny, sure. Yeah. Uh, 
you mentioned uh, Greg Pruitt. I interviewed mm -hmm. him uh, uh, mm -hmm. on the show a couple of months ago, mm -hmm. and he told a very funny story, very similar story. To mm -hmm. I was laughing when you were talking about being at Miami and being mm -hmm. around and calling your dad. He was at Oklahoma starting as a flanker. Mm -hmm. They didn't throw the ball much, and they decided to go to the wishbone. Right. And they make him a running back, but he's not getting a lot of action. Same thing. Calls right. home. His mom's like, "Don't call me." <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't. Yeah. It's just very like I hear these stories. I'm like, God, it's just so funny how like you know you kind of hear similar things it's like that. I had a uh, uh, Greg and I. We played a lot of all star games together, but they asked him to describe his running style. Right. I never forgot it because it was it's like him too. He says, "Well, you know, you ever blow a balloon up?" is to its capacity and then you let it go he said that's me <laughs> <laughs> i'm like okay and you know what it was because that guy could give him zero to uh, yeah quit he was you know i played with a lot of guys in the all-star games and just good people too and you know it was uh yeah, we had some. Our class, as a matter of fact, was supposed to be the best draft class in the history of the NFL, as far as talent goes. You mentioned Otis Armstrong. He was in yeah. your class. Yes, he was. Yeah. Otis, you know, went to Denver. And Otis was from Chicago, him and Daryl Stingley. And, you know, I remember we had the All Star game in uh, Chicago when, when that's when they used to play at Soldier Field. And we went into, we were going to go over to the, to, to the, I think it was Daryl's neighborhood. And then somebody was telling me, man, well, you don't want to go over in there. You might not come out, come out. <laughs> but Daryl, Daryl, um, just, I mean, just some great people, you know, him, Otis, because, you know, um, yeah. Uh, Sam Bam Cunningham was in that draft. Sam, yeah, Sam was, you know, he was the big guy coming out of the draft. You know, Sam was about 6'4", 240, could run, you know, um, you know, uh, him. and Well, I could go on, yeah. Sam was was the guy out of USC. Of course, back in our time, USC was supposed to be top dog. Alabama, Johnny Muso. Yeah. People like that, you know. But the guy that you might have never heard of, that to this day was the greatest running back I've ever seen in my life. You don't know him. He played for the New York Giants for a year or two. He might have been a little different. His name was Leon X-Ray McCoy. Huh. Yeah, I'm telling you. When did he play? He played back when I played, but see, he went to Canada because he played at the University of Tampa. Okay. With Jad, with Del Rio and those guys, and Matusak and all those, and and because um, uh, you know Tampa at the time was known for uh, I don't know what called outlaw school, but everybody had a problem at one school could come to Tampa and play. Coach Kersey was the my head coach. Coach Kersey was the guy that coached them. But uh, we played Tampa, University of Tampa. We were at the University of Miami. I saw that guy do some stuff I still ain't never seen nobody do before in my life. Really? From a running back. He could take – he could get that ball. He had these little chop steps, and he could go sideways quicker than he could go – quicker as quick as he could go forward. It was, a, it was a beautiful thing to see. 
He went and played up, and then he played in Toronto. I think he averaged like 10.2 yards a carry up there. Jesus. In Canada. Sam what? No, his name is Leon X-Ray McQuay. McQu- he's, from, he's, from, he's from Tampa. He was from Tampa, Florida. Okay. And I tell people this story all the time. People are, but you know, Leon was a, a marvelous talent. But I think, you know, I don't know if he was spoiled or what, but you know, that's but he just didn't he didn't he didn't get he didn't boy, I, I just couldn't imagine him being all he could be all the time. That's right. that that's me. That's my opinion. You can talk about all the running backs you want. You can talk about all of them. Today, yesterday, I don't care when. <laughs> but I'm telling you, this guy, he's passed away now a few years ago, was the best pure runner. He was quick. He was fair. They say he ran like a 4 That's what they say. God. They say he's – now, you know, I'm not just joking with you. No, I'm telling know. you the truth. Yeah. They say he don't even know how fast he was. <laughs> Only thing he know, he outran everybody. Wow. That's what, that's what, that's, you know, that's what I heard about Leon, Leon McQuay. And I watched him play a couple of times and I saw him on film. But the only thing was, is Leon, you know, probably wasn't as dedicated as he should have been. I don't know the whole story. Sure. But it's a story. You know, when I, people ask me about the running backs that I know that I've seen, <laughs> you're talking about purity talent, <laughs> man. I ain't never seen nothing like it. That's amazing. Okay, that's good. That's good to know. All right, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna Google him tonight. <laughs> yeah, Google him and look at some of the stuff that he did. And you see, and and I don't even know if he played as hard as he could play. Right. You know. Right. But, that's amazing. Yeah, you see amazing talents like that, and it's unfortunate because he played up in Canada for a few years. Right. But I know he averaged like 10 yards somewhere. One year he'd average like 10 yards a carry. Man, wow. Who are the guys that you see now on Sundays that you think that you, you know, you'd pay to watch? Of course, when I Dalvin Cook, I'll pay to watch. Kamara, I'll play to watch. McCafferty, when he's healthy, I'll pay to watch. As you notice, I'm telling you, all the guys that are multi-purpose. Right. Of course, I like the big fellow down there in Tennessee. Oh, Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, yeah. Um, you know, wow. And a lot of them are um, running back by, you know, they have guys for one year, runs certain situational football, let's say. Right, but, right. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the guys that I like to see in there every down, like, to me, if you ain't in there on third down, you can't be compared as a great runner. Right, right. Because when you when you out of the game on the most important play of the game, well, what do good do you do your team? You can't pick up a blitz. You can't read to pick up a blitz. You or something's in there to take, or you can't catch. You know, I mean, that's to me it takes away from your overall ability. Yeah, I hear you. Let, let me ask you this. Let me shift gears for a second. Your son, Jay, mm-hmm. played at Nebraska, right. played a handful of national mm-hmm. championship teams mm-hmm. there. And then he played, I want to say, eight or nine years in the NFL. Nine years, right, right. Nine right. years in the NFL. Um, right. What was that like having, you know, you played major college football, you right. played in the league for a de- you know, almost a decade. Mm-hmm. What was it like mm-hmm. watching your son go through that? 
Uh, it was interesting to watch him, you know, play, play well. And, you know, he got injured uh, uh, in Houston, Texans. Because I got a younger son, too, to plays, and he certainly was uh, an exceptional athlete, too. He has a different route. He went to a smaller school, but still All-American and did all those things. But, you know, and that's one of the things, you know, I talk about Jay and all his accomplishments, football, academically, football and all that. Anthony, the same thing. Anthony chose a different route. Mm-hmm. You know, he football, for he loved the game, but I always thought he was a great baseball player you know but um he chose made his choice and done really really well for himself got an education from a great great school does really well for himself now um but watching jay playing football watching anthony play football and uh for me as a parent there's only one thing i said to to each of them i said listen if you're gonna play this game you gotta play it at 100 percent because if I see you out there and you're not playing 100%, you know, I'm taking you off the team. It's like my son, Jay. You know, I'm like, he's playing basketball in high school. And I'm like, what's going on with you? you you're not even playing hard. Well, you know, I said, okay, fine. I called the coach and said, Jay will not be on the team anymore. What do you mean? He's doing okay. I said, not mine. And then his grades were not right. Right. You know? So I'm sitting there, okay, so he's getting a little too big-headed. I said, all right, let me break him down a little bit. I broke him down a little bit. The coach called me one game, two game, three game, four game. After the fourth time he called me, I said, well, he said, he's eligible. He said, I said, yeah, he's eligible by your standard. But he's not eligible by mine. Don't you understand that? Fifth game, I let him go back. Right. I never had a problem with him getting his grades ever again. Right. right. He, he got a Harvard MBA, didn't he? Didn't I see that? Yep. Yeah, he got a Harvard <laughs> so he MBA. Something out. Yeah, I said, man, look, this is not the way it goes. Anthony, too, graduated with honors and everything else. I mean, he got more doggone awards and stuff that you can shake a stick at. But, you know, I'm like, hey, if this is the way it is. You got to get ready for, you know, football is a short-term gig, not for long. And that's just the way it is. The good thing about not for long now is it's not for long, but you can be rich when you get out. <laughs> you know, even if you play three or four years, you'll have enough money set aside to be pretty smart. Not You don't even have to be that smart. To give yourself a good, solid start in life, have money in the bank, be able to do the things that you need to do and not have to worry about, you know, you can find yourself a, whatever you want to do. You know, these guys now can can do that. Right. You know, of course, baseball players have been doing it for years. Football players are just getting at that point. But, you know, it's good to see, you know, them finally making some money, even though I think the pensions are crap for me and my group and things like that. Medical thing could be better. But, you know, it's good to see the game grow in some areas. They still got a lot of work to do. Okay, well, Chuck Foreman, I have to tell you, thank you so much for taking the time to kind of walk through your your career, you know, kind of starting off in Maryland and hearing about your background and then, you know, how you ended up at Miami mm-hmm. and then obviously the career in Minnesota playing, you know, on those legendary teams and talking right. about your legendary career. Um, it, it's, it's been a real pleasure to have you on Chasing Hardware. Thank you very much for your time. I greatly appreciate you having me. Okay, excellent. Great to talk to you, Chuck. Take care. Okay.
And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware. I've been your host, Rich Lumello. The Michael Stanley Band brought us in, and the suburbs with Life is Like are going to take us out. Speak to you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.